0: Hello and welcome to IRI Growth Insights C-Suite Conversations. I'm your host, John McIndoe, Chief Marketing Officer here at IRI. IRI leverages forward-looking insights to help companies in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets grow their businesses. Our purpose is to reinvent how people make decisions, take action, and optimize performance by unifying technology, analytics, and data. At IRI, we are about smarter decisions, faster actions, and exceptional performance. As part of that effort, we regularly share our thought leadership with the industry at large, addressing and tackling the most pressing challenges and opportunities within our industry. Our special C-suite conversation series features notable leaders talking about the future of CPG and retail. In this episode, we'll be talking with Rachel Ferdinando, Senior Vice President and CMO of Frito-Lay North America, the snack subsidiary of PepsiCo, comprised of 29 brands, including iconic Frito-Lay, Doritos, Cheetos, Miss Vicky's, Ruffles, Stacy's, Sun Chips, Tostitos, Smart Food, and a ton more. We'll be covering an array of topics today, including Frito-Lay's rapid response to shifting consumer and shopper needs during the pandemic, its approach to staying ahead of emerging trends to deliver highly successful innovation and marketing campaigns, as well as expectations for the future. Leading today's conversation are KK DeVey, IRI's President of Client Engagement, and Sheila McCusker, IRI Executive Vice President and team lead for PepsiCo. With that as background, it's my distinct pleasure to turn it over to KK and Sheila.
1: Thank you, John. Rachel, welcome. Hi, thank you for, thank
2: you. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for making the time to talk to us, Rachel. So it's a pleasure. We've had several uh, discussions uh, around trends impacting the industry and how Free Lay has driven success uh, in this kind of uh, you know, very uncertain environment and where, you know, there are lots of opportunities that are emerging. We'd love to learn more about the strategies that have been driving your success and how you and your team are shaping what is next for your brands and categories. Uh, But before we go into all of that, uh, let me just ask you, you know, a, a question. You have several billion dollar brands in your portfolio. Which one is your most favorite one?
2: Oh, gosh, that's a very uh, tricky question. But I would say this, like so many consumers, uh, variety and repertoire are so important in snacking, which means I have many favorites. And it truly depends on my mood, my situation, where I'm at. Um, But if I had to pick a couple of my favorites, two that rise to the top for me are Miss Vicky's and Lay's Kettle Cooked, so you probably see a theme there. I kind of yeah. like Carbyte uh, PC, and uh, yeah. So those are some of my go-to's.
1: Yeah. And well, me too. I have lots of lots of uh, a repertoire of this. I believe there are too many of uh, these brands are my favorite, according to my wife. So <laughs> <laughs> we used to always negotiate that one.
2: Well, we thank uh, you for your business <laughs> and your loyalty. Okay, we appreciate it.
1: Uh, Rachel, PepsiCo's mission is to create more smiles with every sip and every bite. Tell us a little bit about how Frito-Lay Snacks plays in achieving this mission.
2: Well, we play a really important role in delivering this mission. And I would say it's something that we're really proud of in terms of the progress that we're making. Um, one of the things that you may be surprised to learn about me is I'm actually a scientist by training. And so when I, you know, we talked about the mission of PepsiCo in creating smiles, the power of a smile really fascinated me. And I thought it was really important to understand what's behind the smile and what's our role in delivering smiles. And smiles, as it turns out, are actually very good for us. You know, they're emotionally good for us, physically good for us, socially good for us. And in fact, even we found that, you know, medical studies actually show that smiling can reduce stress, it it can uh, strengthen your immune system, Uh, does all these amazing things. And so really importantly, there's this kind of a transformation that's happening, this emotional transformation as we describe it. And what we learned through the process of thinking about our role in smiles is that smiles are actually delivered through joy. So, our business isn't just about making chips for people to satiate their hunger, although we do that very well. Um, we really believe that we're in the business of joy. And when we create joy, we create a smile um, in the world. And for us, smiles equals occasions. And every time we deliver an occasion of joy, we deliver a smile. So, everything that we do at Frito Lay ladders back to this. Whether it's the innovation we're delivering, whether it's some of the marketing campaigns we're delivering, the experiences we're delivering on the brands, it really is very, very tightly linked to this mission of creating more smiles with um, every sip. And in our case at Frito-Lay, every bite.
3: So picking up on that theme of innovation, Rachel, um, clearly Frito-Lay is recognized as one of the most innovative companies in the CPG space. And this year was, of course, no exception with the launch of things like uh, Doritos 3D, Cheetos Pop Crunch Mix. What are some of the consumer and consumption trends that you're following now and that you think will play a role in future innovation?
2: Yeah, it's a very important question. And I think continuing to... Really monitor and track what's happening with the consumer and where the consumption is going, particularly in light of this pandemic, has never been more critical. And I think it's fair to say that the food industry is incredibly dynamic, and what people are seeking from their snacking occasions is evolving. And I would say the last 18 months has only reinforced that. But there are a couple of areas that I think. Um, we really pay attention to and and the things that we are seeing that we believe will remain important for years to come. The first thing is consumption has shifted from out of home to in-home. That's a big change. Um, The home has become the hub, which means snacking at home during more occasions and day parts is dramatically increased. And that changes what consumers buy and how they shop. We also know that during the course of... Um, the phases of the pandemic, in the early phase of the pandemic, we saw that consumers were really driven by comfort. They were looking for those trusted brands, those hero products I talked about earlier that really stand out in people's lives. But we saw that shift um, as the pandemic um, unfolded. We saw consumers becoming more health conscious, becoming more budget conscious, and really thinking about connection and socialization in a different way. And so that's something that we see continuing to evolve. And those trends that I mentioned will be important in the future. We also saw something really fascinating as people were spending more time at home, as people started to cook more. Uh, people started to experiment and utilize recipes more. And we actually found that our snacks and snacks as a whole were being used more as ingredients, which was fascinating to see. Um, consumers have started to think more creatively about ingredients in meal preparation and using our products. And for example, we saw online searches for Cheetos recipes jump 192% in April, 2020. It's just staggering when you think about it. And so in response to that, we started to orientate ourselves to how can we deliver convenient um, meals uh, things like that created the innovation around Cheetos Mac and Cheese, things like the Bon Cheetos Holiday Cookbook. These things were very well received by consumers. So we think there's going to be this continued um, exploration of food um, as, we, um, as we go forward. And then the last thing I would say is that really we're seeing these kind of offerings increase across all consumer need states, whether it's kind of um, – consumers who are wishing for discovery and celebration as they're starting to get more mobile and back into the world, as well as, as I mentioned, this notion of consumers becoming more health conscious. And we see both of those things really vibrant and strong as needs with the consumer. And so what we're thinking about is what are all those need states that exist and how do we continue to offer the right variety and the right portfolio to really address what the consumer needs, where they
3: are, and for what purpose. Okay, terrific. And clearly what you just outlined demonstrates how connected Fidolet is to consumers. How do you stay so connected to consumers?
2: Well, I think it starts with the guiding philosophy and something that I'm very passionate about is I don't see us um, in the marketing team and in the brand teams as being just business stewards. We're also icon builders and magic makers. And so what we tend to think about is when you have 94% of households that you reach, that's an incredible responsibility around scale. And it's really important when you think about that, just how much we impact people's lives every day. When you think about just the sheer scale of that. And so we're always thinking about what matters in those moments to consumers and how can we bring this a little bit of magic, which is where that notion of magic makers comes from. And it is really about having both innovative products and innovative marketing. And so we're always focused on our fans. What's really going to deliver that joy that I talked about for our fans? So we're always tracking and monitoring what is really driving that connection to our products? What are consumers, what do they love about us? What is it that they're really passionate about? And then really leveraging the purpose of joy throughout that. And so a couple of things that I would just highlight as examples, you know, innovation starts by being obsessed with our fans. If we truly understand what consumers care about, and we really go deep on that, it can really create Um, a whole series of innovative thinking um, on the business. Uh, I talked about purpose being at the core. And I think when we think about joy, that lends itself to really interesting and creative ways in which you can deliver that. And then I think also what's probably unique about our brands is we're very heavily engaged in culture and cultural moments and big cultural moments. If you think about holidays, if you think about the Super Bowl, these are moments that are really big for snacking and big for our brands. And so we really think about how we engage um, and we kind of become more of an entertainment brand, not just a snacking brand, but truly thinking about how do we bring that experience? And so, you know, Super Bowl is a great example of the work that we do in that space. But I think those are some of the things that we think about. And of course, it's all driven by analytics and data and um, a real sense of timely, real-time information. But uh, it really starts with our fans. And that obsession is what we try to live inside in order to really deliver and delight the consumer in the way that only we can.
3: Okay, terrific. And how how would you say the role of innovation is changing?
2: Well, I think... It is changing in a lot of ways. I mean, fundamentally, you know, we're committing uh, uh, more than ever, I think, to innovating in a very different way. We think about all the occasions that we could satisfy and what kind of innovation could deliver against those occasions in the most appropriate way. And we really want to build brands that are indispensable and to be indispensable um, in consumers' lives and millions of consumers' lives, we've really got to think wide about the variety and the kinds of innovating snacking needs that we can deliver. And I think innovation is a core part of our identity. I mean, if you look at the fact that we were the number one innovation contributor to the salty snack category, it tells you just how important this is for us. Um, And we think it will be more important in driving um, growth in the future. I mean, we launched more than 60 innovations in 2020, and we're already at more than 70 this year. So we're pretty active, I would say, in this space. But it's shifting because we need more agility than ever. Uh, we have to evolve to innovate um, in a way that keeps pace with the change. And, you know, I talked about some of those trends and change we saw shift in home, the fact that health and wellness is really accelerated, um, the fact that consumers want discovery and experience more than ever, that really, that agility to be able to tune into how it's shifting and the fact that it's accelerated is something that is has to be built into our innovation process moving forward. And as I said before, I think that because we transform these moments of joy and we bring smiles, um, when you think about that, it really is about living innovation from the inside and out. And so we're always thinking about how can we elevate that experience? What? Could, how can could we give more joy, even within some of our incredibly nostalgic and well-known brands? Like when we think about what we did with Doritos Cool Ranch and we completely... Uh, reinvigorated that uh, product. I mean, the response was incredible, but it was needed. Consumers wanted to get more of what they loved. And so we leaned into that. So living innovation in a way that's truly linked to that purpose is really what drives our thinking and how
3: we approach it. Okay, fantastic. And then you mentioned Better For You brands, Rachel. And and clearly, Fidolet has a number of strong Better For You brands like Simply Baked, Popcorners, How do you see better for you evolving? Well, I think
2: clearly post-pandemic health is not only, I mean, it was a trend already, but it's increased. And I mean, it's a priority for 91% of Americans. So this is no longer something that is for the few. This truly is for the many. And I think that's an important shift that we need to recognize. And we're seeing consumers seeking more mindful eating around Um, their snacking, um, I think, including a sort of greater adoption of holistic health practices, people are becoming much more aware of what role food plays in their health. And so we've been really investing in learning and understanding more about this. And we really want to make sure that what we understand those occasions that go with that mindset and those needs, and in what form Uh, Do they need to be delivered? And so we've really invested in building a very expansive portfolio now because the needs of the healthy snacking consumer are not necessarily different to the other needs that we see. They want variety, they want great taste and they want function. And so that's really driven us to not only invest in building a portfolio, but also it's becoming a growing focus for us. And so, you know, when we look at the data around just global health and wellness, the market is growing like 8% CAGA. And so we just see huge opportunity for growth, but most importantly, it's really delivering against all of those consumer needs that exist across all aspects of snacking.
3: Okay, thank you. So I'm gonna turn things over now to KK to talk a little bit more about marketing and media.
1: You have a long history of highly innovative marketing campaigns. And recently I think you won the Khan Award for Cheetos Khan Touchless campaign. You also won other awards such as Ad Agency, A-List and Creativity Award. Congratulations, <laughs> right? we want to kind of double click a little bit on, on marketing these fun things. Like how is your creative process? How is, what's the inspiration for this campaign come from? How, how are you kind of changing your creative process? Uh, so could you talk, elaborate a little bit on that Rachel?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for the congratulations. We were absolutely thrilled with the Grand Prix amongst other things that have happened this year. So uh, it's incredible recognition for a wonderful team that I have the privilege to lead. Um, If we if I start first with the Can't Touch This campaign, where did the inspiration come from? Well, the backbone of the campaign was really centered around, we felt we were in, at this point in the in the brand history of Cheetos that we just saw a lot more untapped potential. Um, and typically what you might do in a situation like that, where you think, gosh, you could really expand your penetration and your occasions. Um, let's go talk to the fans that are, only occasionally buying us. Well, we actually flipped that whole model and said, actually, we want to understand why people love Cheetos so much. And we talked to our lovers to help us really think through what this brand could do to be more attractive and attract more fans um, to the brand. And so we found through this kind of these passionate fans that this notion of Cheeto, the kind of orange dust, Uh, that these fans were literally wearing it as a badge of honor. Um, And I'm not kidding you. We actually found someone who tattooed it on their fingertips. So, yes, Uh. there were some real passionate fans out there. But what we kind of noticed was that in the snacking experience, these fans, you know, you get the orange dust over your fingers and, you know, it kind of, therefore, you can't touch anything. Um, And so we kind of uh, played around with the idea and we found that, you know this Cheeto's lover, this passionate fan, is always looking for ways to kind of get out of being an adult, to stop being adulting, and kind of release and have fun um, and enjoy themselves. And so we kind of linked those two thoughts together, and that led to this idea that you know when you have um, this uh, Cheeto on your hands, you uh, you have a superpower that can help you get out of doing things. And so that was the kind of genesis for it. And obviously it's taken on an incredible uh, momentum and been hugely successful. And we brought that back to Cheetos, back to the Super Bowl for the first time in 11 years. So, uh, yeah, and the rest, uh, you know, is history. So a really interesting, I think, way of thinking about how to really lean into what a brand strength is and then how to, kind of extrapolate from there into making the brand more attractive so to speak to uh, to fans who also want to be a part of that
1: I'm going to test my superpower next time I use <laughs> Cheetos it's one of my favorite brands too awesome. uh, and I will I'll be in touch with you if it uh, doesn't do magic uh, more seriously how has your creative process in, you know evolved? Particularly now that there's so much of digital campaigns, you know, speed, technology, you know, just talk to us a little bit how, um, you know, you guys think about that.
2: Well, I would say the pandemic has really been a catalyst for a lot of change, um, for sure. And I think like most companies, we've had to adjust uh, to working in a different way in a virtual world. Um, And so this pandemic has really taught us to be more agile in our own production processes and leverage, I think, innovative ways of doing things because, you know, we were all working remotely. Um, But we found that it actually could become an enabler. I mean, we started to really invest, I think, in the quality of relationship with our creative partners, um, because you've got to be able to function in that virtual world. And so it really requires a lot of trust high collaboration, and I think a lot of mutual uh, respect. So we kind of doubled down on that. We've got great relationships with our partners. That's what yields this history of great work, but we had to pivot and really lean into that in a different way. And so that kind of created the foundation, but the other things that we've done from a creative process standpoint is we strengthened our internal capabilities. So we really moved much more towards our internal agency, D3, as they're known. Actually, one um, internal agency of the year with AdAge, which is just a huge moment to be proud of. And it was really off the back of the work that they had done throughout this pandemic. So it really showed us that strategically we've made a good choice there to really lean into that. But really, um, having this internal capability means... We've shortened our timelines more than ever. Um, we've um, really uh, expedited things in a completely unbelievable way at such speed. And that's given us an advantage that we didn't have before. And I think we're now saying, okay, that's something that we want to continue to build and grow, even you know post-pandemic. Um, also, I think we think of agility now not as something that um, is aspirational. We think it's the new normal. I mean, if you're not agile and keeping pace with the rate of change externally, then you're not keeping pace. And for us, um, we see so much change, consumer sentiment, just changing at an unparalleled rate that we've got to be ready to pivot at any moment. And that's really what this pandemic has been, I think, a complete training in? How do you do that? And so we put in place really much more timely, measurement and tracking around where consumer sentiment is going how is it shifting what is it doing to behavior and that then is linked to our internal creative process as well as how we are working with our external creative partners and that's led us to an incredibly agile and fast expedited process which is something we've benefited from and we want to continue to grow over
1: time It's fascinating to hear about D3's award. So, congratulations on that. And thank you. Agility is the name of the game, I think, in all of our core business processes going forward. How has your media shifted over the past year in particular, right? I mean, are you doing a lot more DTC, more digital? Uh, Just talk us uh, and what's the role of traditional media? So, just elaborate on that a little bit. Yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah, happy to. I think, you know, frankly, there's so many new channels and technologies emerging every day. Um, that's, that's an exciting prospect, I think, for a marketer in terms of experimenting and looking at new ways to connect. Um, and it allows us to get closer to consumers in ways we couldn't have imagined maybe five or 10 years ago. But the downside is the complexity. It's never been more complex than it is today. And we talked a little bit about agility. That's why it's so important. But it's also really important, I think, to think through truly, how do you connect all of these things together, which I think is a journey to come. Um, But also, how do you measure How do you really measure in an effective way? So that's kind of, I think, the macro situation we're seeing. And then in addition to that, when you have brands like ours that are really entrenched in culture, we have got to be thinking about how does media play a role in culture and culture play a role in media. And so we're very passionate about really trying to find cultural moments, follow culture, what's happening and ultimately create it. So we lean in heavily from a media perspective into cultural moments, which obviously is going to inform our media mix quite considerably. But I would just say that, you know, we continue to think through within the digital space the fact that we've got Gen Z millennials and even now alpha consumers live on innovative platforms, They're early adopters, 70% consuming content on mobile. I mean, literally, that's the name of the game. We've got to be in places like all social media platforms, streaming audio, podcasting, gaming. You know, there's just so many aspects to how those consumers, which are, you know, generally enjoy snacking quite a bit, um, really important that we understand where they are and how we are connecting with them in those spaces and driving our media investment to be aligned with that. So we continue to prioritize channels where consumers are choosing to spend time. That doesn't mean there isn't a role for uh, television and linear television, but it's just that we have to really think about how the consumer is flowing across uh, those touch points and really adjust. And it varies depending on the brand. um, And it really varies depending on the scale as well. So uh, we get the benefit, I think, of really managing kind of small emerging brands. And we can be highly targeted and really lean into some of these platforms to really build these brands. Um, And at the same time, we benefit from 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 a cultural perspective, some of these big stage moments like Super Bowl, et cetera, where we are looking at much more scale because the brand itself is much more mature and reaches a much bigger audience. The the last thing I would say is you mentioned D2C. Snacks.com was a major shift for us. I mean, we got that up and running within four weeks and it allowed us to get products directly to consumers. And that really came out of this notion of moving from a sell to a serve mindset. When the pandemic hit, we were deemed essential. Consumers were wanting to find us, needing to find us. So it was just a really great mechanism to give another access point for the consumer and really link into consumers' shopping preferences really at that time. So that's been a really interesting change for us and something we continue to learn and uh, and evolve over time.
1: I want to double click on D2C, but before that, on the media side, the sports venues, billboards, I mean, I know you guys do quite a bit too, right? I mean those continue to exist. And on the top of that, you're building all these new platforms, gaming, metaverse, you know whatnot. How do you balance all of these? I mean, you can't do a marketing mix for everything, right? Yeah, uh, how do you prioritize? How do you think about the about the emerging ones versus the yeah. traditional ones that are you know that can be measured?
2: Well, I think it's, um, it, it, you've got to be in a constant learning mode. I think this is truly about um, experimentation and measurement. And the fantastic thing is that we have access to data like never before. And the analytics capabilities that go with that just helps us learn quickly. But I think we continue to look at where are the consumer behavior changes and projections going. And then as that time spent by consumers is increasing in some of these emerging spaces, we then think about, well, how do we adjust to that trend um, as we balance our media investments across the media mix? And so that's really a balancing act. And obviously, we're measuring ROI, but we're also I think trying to continue to learn how we connect data points across different platforms and how do we get those proxies that really tell us, yes, this is the, the right place to be um, and that we need to continue to lean into that. So it's, it's definitely um, a bit of art and science, I would say. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we, um, we're learning a lot, but we've got to continue to keep pace with that change.
1: Which, which platforms will become more critical in the next few years, in your opinion, right? I mean, you probably have everybody coming and pitching to you guys, right? In terms
2: of <laughs> yes, and then, it's fascinating where, yeah. you know, particularly Gen Z, where they gravitate and how they gravitate to new things very quickly. I mean, we, we obviously anticipate growth across digital video, digital audio and social in the next couple of years. That's not a new trend, but definitely we see that accelerating. Um, in the social space, particularly Snapchat and TikTok, you know, continue, I think, to be very prominent and very um, high interest and high time spent by younger consumers. And so that's certainly a continued trend that we see. And we've done some really fantastic work with those platforms that we're really proud of. Gaming is a really interesting space. It's not only a great space from a point of view of, you know, a lot of gamers tend to snack. When they're gaming, mm-hmm. so it's kind of an occasion there, but it's also a really important uh, media space um, that's you know just massive now, um, and again got accelerated through the pandemic. So we're we're leaning more into gaming and looking at ways in w- which we can be relevant in that space. We also interestingly think that live events and tempole programming will grow in importance um, because these cultural moments have become really important for consumers as a way of kind of connecting back to joyful moments in a, in a time when it's not been that joyful. So we think that's something that will still be important for us uh, moving forward. And then clearly being comfortable in a virtual world, how do we think about how do you bring more of those experiences to consumers to really um, elevate our brands in a virtual world, new experiences, um, that, and how do you bring those real life experiences to consumers in a virtual world? And I think that's a really exciting space uh, yeah. that we expect will grow over time.
1: Everybody's uh, investing and in now in metaverse, right? So it's gonna be interesting. <laughs> Uh, uh, just coming back to DTC, um, what are some of the key learnings from a uh, free-to-day perspective that you would be comfortable sharing? Um, you know, what have you learned? Where do you think this will go in terms of the future?
2: Yeah, well, I think, you know, first of all, from a snacks.com perspective, um, just the, the sheer speed at which we delivered that, um, is just kind of incredible. And I think, um, I think it just goes to show that uh, we can create that agility within a big infrastructure like ours and a a massive go-to-market system. And so just really inspired us, I think, to think about how we can be entrepreneurial. Um, And that was certainly a great learning from uh, the experience of standing this up. I think the other thing is just it's such an amazing vehicle to learn about how consumers feel about what you do. It's an incredible tool for consumer feedback. Um, And it's just the kind of level of data that we can get from a first party uh, perspective is just amazing. Um, And it's helped us think about how we can adapt our offerings in real time. You know, for example, I mean, maybe you saw this, KK, but we launched a pilot to make your own variety pack. Where you could actually personalize your variety pack to absolutely down to the bag. What do I want inside? What's my ideal mix? And, you know, we did this as a pilot. We didn't really make any noise about it, but somebody discovered it and put a video on uh, TikTok and it went viral. Mm-hmm. And we had 45,000 orders in a day which is just incredible. And so based on this, we've learned, gosh, you know, this is a way in which we can evolve. We can really deliver this personalization um, and we can do it in a way that we're learning what's working with the consumer. So that's been um, incredible. And I think also um, linked to that is just the importance of taste, how taste will still be so, so, so important in food in general, but, the flavors that we offer and what flavors resonate and how the flavors kind of show up on different um, types of snacking in different occasions, need states. And so, you know, we've tested at times, nine different assets, uh, Mm -hmm. three different message territories, just with flavor forward messages, just to see what drives conversion. Um, what kind of assortment and how do you play that very well for the consumer? So that's been really interesting uh, learning for us. And then, of course, is personalization at scale. How do we truly think about personalization and how can we use snacks.com to really offer Uh, different parts of the US and that regional local play, how can it play a role in that if it's not readily available for the consumer there, but they still want access to it. So it's got a lot of interesting levers that allows us to pull that we can't do necessarily through more traditional routes.
1: Fascinating, fascinating. I'll turn it over to Sheila for a a little bit uh, uh, on insights and analytics. Sheila, over to you.
3: Perfect. Yeah, thank you. Um, Richard, you frequently noted the importance of insights in order to keep the consumer at the center of everything you do. Can you please provide an example of how insights really help to shape a particular campaign?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, as, as, um, as I mentioned before, I think really... Understanding what motivates and excites consumers on an emotional level is something that we believe is important in, in how we craft these moments of joy at every touch point. So that's sort of how we think about it. And really leaning into behavioral data. So that really lies at the center of our decision making strategies. And I often talk about if innovation is the lifeblood insights or the oxygen, that's how I think about it for the brands. And so, I mean, a great example, I think, of this is when we, um, we kind of relaunched Doritos uh, under this notion of Doritos takes you to another level. It's always been a bold, snacking brand, but we felt that when we talked to our Gen Z consumers who were undergoing you know, this massive generational shift, we found out that for them it was about self-expression and having brands that allow them to express themselves. I say all of that because what we found out was that this disruption that the brand was facing with this generational shift is that this this Gen Z consumer they were growing up they're fully the. They're truly the first generation that's grown up in a digital world. And so we were sort of saying, how do you create an advertising campaign for a generation that can't stand advertising? That's a bit tricky. Uh, And so that led us to making the anti-ad Doritos Brandless, where we had no logos, no branding. We didn't even use the word Doritos Um, because we knew the brand was so iconic. We didn't really um, need to name it for our fans to recognize what we were talking about. And it was a really bold move, but it came truly from the insights that we had gathered about what Doritos will need to, what it's going to need to mean to this consumer and what it's going to have to represent. And so we took a really bold move, but it really paid off and we got massive engagement and even handed over our social platforms to Gen Z consumers to really um, how you know not advertise to them, but actually create with them. So that's a great example, I think, of where behavioural data and insights really drove
3: something uh, special. Yeah, that's a fantastic example. Um, how about the insights process itself? Is that changing how you get data, how you get insights?
2: Yes, I mean there's a there's a few different ways that we're seeing the role of insights evolving for us. Um, whether it's from a consumer facing perspective you know the help of ai and leveraging this kind of machine learning is helping us generate i think faster more impactful insights and so you know we've really been leaning on those kinds of technology to help us really i think transition in a way that consumers are expecting when you think about the technology that they're using and adopting Um, We need to be kind of mirroring that in the way in which we use technology to drive our insights and our predictive analytics. Um, And so we've actually shifted much more towards predictive analytics using sort of a digitalization of that approach. And so we've developed a suite of tools under this kind of what we call this overarching umbrella, which is 360 always on insights engine. Um, It's a fabulous tool because it can give us real time access to cultural human category and brand insights like in real time. I mean, you're talking about really fast turnaround and it's moved us from being in a world of doing research with long lead times to, you know, having a stream of knowledge within our business, sometimes within hours, sometimes within under an hour. Um, And so we've done things like partnered with Black Swan to develop a platform which is called Trendscope that looks at trends, growth, forecasts around things like even ingredients, benefits, themes, flavors. So it's really powerful in terms of giving us really um, impactful data, but all driven through technology. Um, Change Compass is something that helps us understand macro forces, human drivers, cultural tensions that exist within, say, the food uh, world and food trends. So that's really a fascinating tool. And then even things where we, we are actually using technology now that can help us kind of monitor um, actual behavior using something called the Human Eyes video platform, where it can actually be much more real versus these kind of research methodologies where you're kind of in an artificial situation where you can be actually with the person and really see it through their eyes. So those are just a few examples, I think, of how how much we've changed and how exciting this space is to get us even richer insights. I've talked a lot about how I think technology is becoming the vehicle in which we can propel and accelerate a deeper understanding of the consumer and the insights and IRI is a a pivotal part of that. We have to be able to, as we develop these technologies to fuel our analytics, link that very strongly to our partners. And I think one of the things that we're really proud of in the IRI relationship is just how much we've been partnering to create connectivity between uh, the data that's provided and then fueling that into much more real-time, deeper Um, insights that really fuel the business. And it's a pivotal partnership that enables us to do that really effectively.
3: And picking up a little bit more on, kind of the heavy focus on what's important to consumers, right? We'd love to pivot a little bit to talk about social causes. And Fiddle I think has been a real pioneer on tapping into social causes and helping to advance them um, through marketing, right? So just thinking about some of the initiatives you've had recently, like the Stacey's March bag, Um, As an example, um, how do you see that evolving and what role can CPG manufacturers really play in advancing a social cause?
2: Well, I think it's imperative that we play a role because there's been a shift in consumer expectations in what being a purposeful brand means. And what we've seen within the last 18 months is that consumers, and I think rightfully so, expect brands to take more of an active role and serve communities that support them. And so it's much more not, no longer about what do you say, it's about what you do. And I talk a lot about brand activism as really a key part of how we need to show up in the world. Um, but you can only do that where you have permission to take part. And so this, you have to be authentic. You have to think through the purpose that you serve in the the world and leverage that to really think about how you can support and make more impact um, on people and on society in general. We've done a number of campaigns in that area, but I think this is something that we really believe is going to be the norm and it is an expectation of
3: consumers. Okay, terrific. And are there other drivers of success that you're that you're open to sharing in terms of what does drive a successful social cause campaign?
2: Yeah, and I think we tend to think about it uh, differently. Um, I really believe that truly iconic brands have purpose at their core, and that really should inform what they do. And I talked about our purpose around at Frito-Lay about being about joy. And mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is, I think purpose is a very wildly overused term. And sometimes it's even misused because for us, it's how we operate. It's, it's the source of the ideation of what we do. Um, and you can't live your purpose when it's convenient or a few times a year. It isn't about donations. And philanthropy doesn't give you a philosophy. So for us, it's about authentically enhancing someone's life. It isn't a statement, it's a behavior. And so we think about living and breathing that to help this kind of real magic occur in people's lives. And so that's how we think about it. And the drivers are really about putting the purpose at the center. It is about really leaning into what matters to consumers and letting that inform what you do. And so that's how we think about it. And that's how we
3: drive that agenda through our business. Very helpful, thank you very much. I'll turn things back over to Kate. Yeah.
1: Fascinating conversation, Rachel. You know, it's like 45 minutes have gone like that. <laughs> uh, clearly, uh, clearly, you're very articulate about, you know, what's going on in the consumer landscape, marketing landscape, uh, et cetera. And I was surprised to learn you were a scientist by training. <laughs> So my, my, my final question is, really, what would your career advice be to someone who is starting out um, and, and has an aspiration to become a Rachel, right, uh, at the pinnacle of, uh, you know, one of the flagship companies, flagship brands, what would you say, you know, how, how has your career evolved, you know, what, what inspires you, what should, what should uh, an aspirant look at?
2: well thank you for I'll the question really and I'm very I'm very flattered to have the question um, mm-hmm. but I would I would say first of all it, being a CMO and particularly the, the the role that I have is an absolute privilege every day I think about how humbling it is to work on such incredible brands in a company that has so much history and has t- touches so many people's lives um, and so when I think about that as sort of being in this, Uh, position and then I look back over many many years of how did this all happen and arrive at this point I've reflected a lot recently about how I see marketing and how I define it and I think that's an important place to start for them maybe some tips and tricks I think first of all marketing is a craft in my mind it's truly unique because it is truly a blend of art and science and that's difficult to manage Um, I also think people mustn't forget that marketing is a critically important capability for growth. And it is a very, very important part of what makes a business sustainably grow at a profitable rate over time. And so, when I think about that and I think about where marketing is today in a career in marketing, I think, as I said earlier, I think it's never been more complex and more broad in terms of skill sets needed. So I think if I'm talking to someone out there who's thinking about a career in marketing and aspires to be a CMO and to get on a CMO track, I think now it's critical more than ever that early on in your career, you get as many of those core competencies and skill sets under your belt as you can, because this breadth really pays back later, but it does require an investment of time, which for some is, you know, uh, may not be palatable, but certainly one of the things I did in my career as marketing evolved was really continue to broaden and understand the breadth of the power of what this can do for growth on the business. And I think once you've done that and you've got that breadth, I think it's really important to find your philosophy. What do you learn through all of those experiences that defines how you think about leveraging the marketing craft to drive sustainable, uh, profitable growth? And so find that philosophy because it's going to help you chart your course, I think, to, to being a CMO. So I hope those are some good words of wisdom, um, but certainly it's a wonderful uh, aspiration and career. And as I say, I feel incredibly humbled and privileged to, to be in this seat and stand on the shoulders of many CMO giants before me.
1: There's a lot to learn from this, uh, from this conversation. And thank you so much for your time, uh, Rachel. Thank you.
2: I was delighted to be here and thank you for having me. It's a real uh, privilege. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Rachel, KK, and Sheila. This has really been an incredibly interesting and insightful conversation. Such passion, excitement, and a focus on action to evolve and to win. From one CMO to another, really very inspiring to be part of. I'd like to go ahead and recap a few of the key themes that I heard today. Rachel, you talked about your most favorite brand. Clearly, variety and repertoire are critical in snacking. You've got a lot of faves, but you also uh, mentioned Miss Vicky's and Lay's Kettle Cooked as some of your all-time favorites. You clearly have a penchant for the salty snacks, much like myself. You talked about your purpose and what's behind the science of a smile and the delivery of joy your core mission. Frito is focused on creating those smiles and joy across new occasions and snacking offerings. Every bite, as you said, is all about creating smiles. You then talked about innovation and monitoring consumers and where consumers are going, particularly during the pandemic and how essential this activity is. Innovation is at the core in creating indispensable brands and innovative snacks and snacking occasions. You also talked about truly living innovation from the inside out. Clearly, it's paying off as you launched more than 60 innovations in 2020 and are on pace to exceed that in 2021. So well done. You focused on how consumer snacking is evolving rapidly. Consumption shifted from out of home to in-home creating more occasions during the pandemic. Consumers sought comfort from trusted brands and snacks that satiated those needs. You also talked about the turn to healthier eating and how over 91% of Americans are now interested in more mindful eating, including snacking and holistic health practices and the role that food plays in health understanding those occasions and then building an expansive portfolio of health-oriented offerings to support them focused on variety, taste, and function all to meet these evolving needs. You mentioned how people are starting to cook more at home and how snacking is being used as ingredients in meal prep. You spoke of online search for recipes with Cheetos jumping exponentially. That's absolutely fascinating and a trajectory you see continuing. You focused on ways in which you're engaging in culture and cultural moments, holidays, Super Bowl, and other sporting events. You're not just a snacking brand, but rather an entertainment brand as well. We spoke about offerings increasing across all need states, discovery and celebration, increased mobility, and more health conscious consumers. What are the need states and how to offer the right portfolio at the right place at the right time. All of this is clearly driven by leveraging technology, data and analytics to provide real-time information to make that magic, that smile, that joy happen. We then shifted our conversation to marketing and media. Clearly Frito-Lay has had a long history in marketing leadership. So many awards, countless, countless awards, And most recently, the Canon Grand Prix. So congrats on that. You spoke in more detail about your marketing transformation, how you focused on strengthening your internal in-house agency, D3, which was most recently named AdAge's in-house agency of the year for 2021. Another congrats. And what drives that group? Agility. Agility is the new normal. You must be ready to pivot at any moment speed time to execution is the name of the game you spoke about the role of data and insights deep and rich understanding of new cultural moments and how consumers are changing almost daily so taking those insights into creative and execution you talked a little bit about leveraging ai and machine learning and predictive analytics from partners like iri and systems such as your 360 Always-On Insights Engine to deliver faster, more impactful insights that consumers are now coming to expect from companies such as Frito-Lay. We talked a little bit about so many changes on the marketing, technology, and cultural front as well. Changing formats and technologies, podcasting, gaming, social, finding those new moments to tap into and drive creative and media execution across all of those touch points. For example, your incredibly rapid shift that you made to support the DTC channel via snacks.com. Personalization and scale across all channels to all consumers from Gen Z to boomers and beyond. We also spent a little bit of time talking about social causes, certainly core to Frito-Lay and an imperative that Frito-Lay continues to play a role in such as your recent cause-driven program for your Stacy's brand. Consumers now today expect brands to take active roles and serve communities. You can't just say it, you must do it. It's not about increasing donations, but authentically enhancing someone's life or their community to make a real impact. And then we closed out with some great career advice. You talked about marketing as a craft, a blend of art and science, and that we all must treat it as such. You spoke about marketing being a critical growth driver and a capability that is essential um, as companies look to expand and grow, and how it requires new skill sets. From an advice perspective, you talked about broadening yourself, and for younger professionals just getting into the space getting as many of those core competencies and skill sets under your belts as quickly as you can, and then finding your personal marketing philosophy and leveraging those new capabilities to drive your career forward. So all in all, a fantastic conversation, and we so appreciate the time. For our listeners and viewers, this recorded conversation will be available at our website, iriworldwide.com. We hope you'll take an opportunity to review our other thought leadership, including valuable reports and a dashboard of our economic indicators. And with that, have a great day and thanks for watching and or listening. Take care.